And now some thoughts on Iraq 10 years after the U.S. invasion. The reporters who have covered the war in Iraq for these past 10 years have largely moved on to other assignments as this nation's attention has moved away from the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. All of those journalists, whatever they may have gone on to do, take the experience of the war with them. In a few cases, they have become the story. The journalists who died in Iraq, well over 100. The journalists injured, like former CBS correspondent Kimberly Dozier, injured in a car bombing in 2006, or ABC News anchor and foreign correspondent Bob Woodruff. Just as we landed, this whole huge sand storm just broke out, and the whole area was filled with, with sand. We could barely see. In 2006, Woodruff was nearly killed by an IED, an improvised explosive device. He suffered a traumatic brain injury which in many ways is the signature of the Iraq War. 400,000 U.S. veterans of the Iraq War have some form of brain injury. When we ask, what do people carry from the war in Iraq 10 years on? The answer for Bob Woodruff is he carries quite a lot. Bob Woodruff is also the founder of the Bob Woodruff Foundation. Bob, welcome to the program. It's great to be here, John. Here's maybe the silliest question right at the top. Ten years ago, where did you imagine you'd be today? My prediction, what my life would be like, very different than it is now. I mean, nothing we ever suspected. And you were on track at that time, you know, to be the voice of ABC News. Yeah, we were, I was appointed to uh, really succeed Peter Jennings, you know, who died of lung cancer. And of course, during that time, in, in January of 2006, the president was due to the State of the Union. And the topic was passing over the power from the U.S. military to the Iraqi military. And I wanted to see if it's working. We'd never imagined, I don't think many could have, that this war lasted as long as it did. In fact, it's still going on, but yes, we are not there. There's two timelines here. There's the timeline of the events of post-9-11 led to the conflict in Iraq and then uh, the invasion of Iraq. But there's also a timeline that you have, which relates to the moment you knew you were changed forever. That's not 10 years ago. It's getting close, though. Yeah, it's coming up on the eighth year. Mm. Everybody in the in the military, the, those that are injured like me, they call it a live day, the day that you should be dead. But we're not. Mm. And that means things have returned to something resembling what it was before. And for many others, uh, so many far worse than me um, that have not returned to something even close to the way they were before. Let's not forget those guys that are injured and survived this war. I know this is something that may not be exactly in your memory, but you can tick off a list um, that I suspect at one point was given to you that described just what was amiss about you after that explosion. What what was wrong with you? What was bleeding? What was not functional? What was? Uh, does it amaze you that you're still here after all that? If I didn't have, first of all, if I didn't have a, a great helmet and a body protection, then I would not be alive. The the blast from this 155-millimeter uh, IED improvised explosive device, when it went off about 20 yards to my left, all of the, the rocks and the metal and the air blast, you know, knocked me out, pierced through the left part of my jaw, shattered my back, uh, my scapula. And then some of these rocks went right in front of my eye into my nose, and I wasn't blinded, although I am blinded in one quarter, both of my eyes because of the impact of falling into the tank. The other rocks, some of them, two of them the size of marbles, went all the way in, one's still there. The other one went miraculously past the, mm. the veins and the arteries, the trachea and the esophagus and stopped one millimeter from piercing through the artery. Another 
millimeter or I wouldn't be here right now. And they were able to get me in two helicopters, stabilize, get off, remove the left part of my skull for a craniectomy so my brain could breathe. And then I was unconscious for the next 36 days before I woke up in Bethesda Naval. And what I've suffered from or got, have, which is called aphasia, which I've got significant loss of memory. Uh, I can't remember a lot of names. I can't remember uh, the order of letters. So I have difficulty with words. Uh, fortunately, I understand uh, everything and I know what I want to say, but I just have difficulties with words. And John, if this was, if this was five years ago, this conversation would right. not be going as smoothly right. as it is. Well, I mean, congratulations. And uh, as you said, um, you have achieved a level of communicative ability some might call it normalcy that uh, others still struggle with and aspire to who have come back from the war in Iraq in a much worse situation. And they are out there amongst us in communities all over the United States, um, around the corner. And really the next 10 years will be everyone realizing that. What can you say about the profile and awareness of people in our communities who are going through these struggles Today. Well, first of all, you know, there's a there's like a Chinese wall between the civilian world and the military world. There's only less than far less than one percent of Americans have served in this war because it's a voluntary military. So I think when they come back and, and they're in almost a separate tribe, as, as some say, everyone comes back and wave the flags and cheer them and call them heroes. And then then we all go shopping. So it's a very different world that exists between the two. So you have to get no. I mean, you you and I grew up in the Vietnam day, right? And back then our neighborhoods were filled with people that came mm-hmm. back from the war. So in that sense, they were, we're not separated that way. Can you even watch a movie like Hurt Locker? Oh, yeah. I, I, really? I can, I can watch them. I can watch them. But that was a really good indication, I think, at the end of that movie where the guy who came back from war – can't figure out how to, what to buy at the supermarket. Yeah, exactly. You know, he just wants to go back. Most of the guys I know that got injured – they want to go back. A lot of them want to go back because they left the game too early. And plus they're coming back to a world where they consider boring, mm. like you said, in the, in the grocery store. And you? You know, first it was a very strange position that I ended up in, which I was like I am right now being interviewed on something that happened to me as opposed to what I did my entire journalistic career, which was to interview others. I've always, you know, covered uh, wars and I've covered overseas a lot. Uh, I'm definitely back to reporting overseas, which is not one of my addictions, but I can't really get my wife to give me the okay. <laughs> I can imagine. Or my kids. I can imagine. Well, as you say, um, your addiction to foreign reporting continues, um, and you've also alluded to your discomfort or natural discomfort with being interviewed as opposed to doing the interviews. But I'm wondering if the story you're telling is journalistically still the story of the war in Iraq and maybe the most important story of its consequences, even though you're being interviewed, you're still telling that story. And is that a journalistic exercise? It is. I think all of them are stories. I think I've got a very good relationship, not only comfortable, comfortability, comfortable uh, with those that, uh, that have gone through something similar. So I've got access to some of these families, but I've also got a gut feeling and I'd be able to relate to them a lot more to tell the story of what they're going through. Um, they're very right there in my heart. So that makes that part of journalism easier and, and hopefully probably more accurate in the reporting of those that do come back and when they come back to home. Well, we're glad you're back 
And as far as comfortability is concerned, you know, you've just said you can't spell, so it doesn't even matter whether it's a word or not. <laughs> I do. I, put <laughs> I can lot, never spell. I do a lot of words. I can convince the order of the letters. Sometimes I can f- confuse things like uh, Verizon and Viagra. So, you know, it, it takes some – it takes uh, a consequence. My little kids make fun of me all the time. Well, Bob Woodruff, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, John.